the following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. The last chapter begins with the cacophony of the Shriekers in the Ankeg's food room, but the expected attack strangely never comes. When the fungi cease their shrill alarm, Eredin once again tries to cross the room, and this time she is permitted to do so in silence. Once across, she uses her rogue's skill to scale the wall, and then throws down Harl's rope, eventually allowing everyone to reach the next tunnel. That tunnel is much like the last, but it takes them to a different kind of room. They arrive in the colony's hatchery. Here they find five unlucky dwarves who have been selected for egg implantation. They are encased in waxy and slime-covered pods, and it's no mystery what will happen when the eggs hatch. One of the five is barely recognizable as having been a dwarf. There are still a few larvae feeding on the disgusting remains. The other four, it is discovered, are not dead, though they are barely alive. It is decided that they should not be released from their stasis within the pods until after the queen and the remainder of her brood have been destroyed. And so, the warband ventures further into the lair through a third tunnel. It takes them to a huge cavern where the queen, surrounded by her royal guard, the last six surviving worker ankegs, seem prepared to make their last stand. At first, the giant insects seem reluctant for battle, but when an errant arrow strikes their queen, their demeanor changes, and the royal guard charges. The first two rounds seem to slightly favor the dwarves, though it's difficult to say, because with each round that passes in which dwarves are slain but ankegs are only hurt, the odds of a dwarven victory worsen. But this battle is do or die. Only one side will be standing when it is over, and for the other, total annihilation. Chapter 59 Part 1. Day 70. Late Night. Party Status. Harl, 29 of 34 hit points. Gyrios, 33 of 33. Eridine, 18 of 18. Umura, 23 of 23. Spells Available. Umura has memorized Charm Person, Levitate, and Knock. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds, times two, and Hold Person. Entering Combat. Fifteen of the original warband of twenty dwarves remain. 
The Angag have been reduced to a third of their strength, but none of them is even close to dead. This battle could still go either way. We are picking up this fight at round three. Let's roll initiative. The party in the dwarves. A five. The Angags. A three. So far, so good. Side battle number one. The dwarves make their attacks. There's one hit and three misses. That's pretty good. But what's better is that this Ankeg crit failed last time and cannot retaliate. Side battle number two. Here we go. Two twenties. Wow. That is almost enough to kill this thing. I would have been happy with a single hit. I think they managed to flip this monster onto its back and hack away at its underbelly several times before it can scramble back on its feet. There's a counterattack, however. A 13. The maneuver costs a life. This one of the dwarves is crushed by the huge thrashing beast. Side battle three. Let's hope for more good rolls. One hit has managed to get through the Ankeg's shell. The retaliatory attack. A three is a miss. Side battle number four. This is the Captain and Garrett's group. They have a slightly better chance to hit. Yes, Garrett is successful in hacking off a chunk of this Ankeg's flesh. The counterattack. A 15 tells me that this Ankeg gets its mandibles around one of Tarek's dwarves and crushes his ribcage effortlessly. Now it's time to visit the main battle and see how the companions will do. Eridine needs a 14 to hit with her longsword. She's got an 8, and the blade skates off her enemy's chitin. Gyrios needs a 14. He's got a 14, that just makes it. His weapon was pretty much made for this kind of work. Four points of damage takes this creature down to 19 hit points. Oh. Harl has not been doing very well in this battle. Let's see if his luck will change. He's got a six, that's no good. Oh. Umura has also yet to land a hit. She needs an 18. A 10, that's a miss. Not a great round for the companions, but it's probably about to get worse. It's the Ankeg's turn to attack. Targets for their enemies will be chosen at random once again. Eridine is attacked and... Ooh, an 18. That hits. Rolling damage. 3d6. Oh no! 17 points! The Ankeg snatches her whole body up and throws it into the air. She lands hard a ways off on the cavern floor, having just missed being impaled on a stalagmite. When Gyrios looks over, horrified, she is unmoving and he thinks she's dead. But there's one more Ankeg yet to attack them. Harl is the target. A four means that Harl has managed to fend off the attack. No. Round four. The tide of battle seems to have turned against the companions. Eridine, with just one hit point left, is definitely out of the melee. I'm not going to risk her getting anywhere close to that thing again. Okay, it's time for initiative. The party and the dwarves. A five. The Ankegs. A four. Well, thank heaven for small miracles. Let's hope the opportunity is not wasted. Side battle number one. The dwarves make their attack. Well, there's only one hit here, but it's a 20. Double damage takes this Ankeg down to two hit dice. Here's for you. It's counterattack. A nine is enough. It surges forward and its mandibles crush the life out of yet another dwarven fighter. Side battle number two. Here goes. One hit, but all I needed was one. The first of the monsters is down with no chance to fight back. Side battle number three. Looking for any 17s on this roll. No, not a single hit. Here comes the counterattack. 13 means another dwarven life is lost in a shower of blood. 
Side battle number four. Tarig and Garrett are the only two left alive in this group. They each need a 14 to hit. The rolls. There's a single hit here that takes the Antag down to two hit dice. This counterattack cannot kill on a hit. It'll take two wounds to best the captain or Garrett. Here's the roll. It's a hit. On Garrett, who loses his hand to the beast. Let's join the main fight. Eridine needs a 14 to hit. Nah, she's got a three. She comes to and manages to find her bow, but she's too dazed to get off a good shot this round. Gyrios needs a 14 as well. Nice, Gyrios. With a 16, he hits. The cleric has not missed a shot yet. Hell yes! Six points on the die makes seven damage. That was clearly payback for Eridine. Harl has been struggling to hit. He needs a 13. A 12. Well, that's close, but it's still a miss. Umura needs an 18. She's also rolled a 12. She's just not cut out for this kind of thing. One of the Ankegs will strike back at Gyrios. It needs a 10 to hit him. An 11 hits. Let's hope for a low roll. 3d6. 11 points of damage. Could have been worse. Gyrios gets battered, but still has 22 hit points remaining. The last Ankeg attacks. Umura. It will hit on a 5 or better. I've rolled a 7, and Umura is hit. She'll suffer. <sighs> Lucky. Just 4 points of damage. <laughs> Round 5. Initiative. The party. A 6. The Ankegs. A 6. Both sides will attack simultaneously. Side battle number 1. No hits land for the dwarves. The Ankeg does score a hit, killing yet another Thangarian. Side battle 2. These dwarves have come to aid their brethren in side battle one. Some good rolls here with a pair of 15s, but only the 18 penetrates the creature's natural armor. One more hit would kill this thing. Side battle three. No successes. Let's see what happens on the counterattack. A seven misses. That's lucky. Side battle number four. Garrett has lost a hand, but is still in this fight, and intends to give as good as he gets. Both he and Tarek will go in for the kill. Two misses. I'll roll to see who gets attacked. Garrett again. Wow, I rolled a two, and Garrett will survive for yet another round. Back in the main combat, Eridine will fire her bow. This ancake is big enough that there's no danger when firing into melee. She still needs a 14 to hit. She's got a 15 but her arrow does just two points of damage. Well, every little bit helps. Gyrios, as always, needs a 14 to hit. Natural 20. Gyrios was born to fight these things. Either that, or they made a big mistake when they attacked Aerodine. This could kill it if I roll high enough. I've got a five. With this plus one, that is more than enough. Gyrios stoves in the giant bug's head. Huh. Harl has really been struggling to land a blow. He needs a 13. Another 20! Two crits in a row! Wow, has that ever happened in this game before? Harl must have been inspired by the Cleric's Fury. Damage will be... Wow, 13 points. Take this! This Ankeg now has just 6 hit points. Umura, as usual, will need a miracle to hit. She's rolled a 4. Well, it was a nice try. Both monsters will get to counterattack because of the simultaneous initiative. The one on Gyrios makes an attack before the Cleric kills it. A seven. Gyrios manages to bash it away with his shield. And the last one? Harl, this time. It needs an eleven. 
A 19 definitely hits, and Harl will take just eight points, and he can handle that. Is that all you've got? Round six. Come on! I really did not expect this to come into play, but it's time to make that morale check after all. My creature description says they have a morale of nine, or 12 when protecting the queen, but in this case, it's the queen calling the retreat. I'll use the first number, rolling 2d6. A nine means that they will fight to the death. So let's continue with initiative. The party, a three. The ankegs, a one. Side battle one, now containing two dwarves from side battle two, gets four tries altogether. Nope, no good. The ankeg retaliates and kills one more of them. Side battle number three, now containing the other two dwarves from side battle two. It has five chances to hit. Two hits. That brings the ankeg down to one hit die. Let's see what happens on the counterattack. A five means it has missed. Side battle number four. Garrett and the captain flank the creature and attack. Horrible rolls, not even close. The ankeg fights back and attacks Garrett again. An eight just misses and Garrett loses nothing more than the skin on the tip of his nose. Let's check in with the main battle. Eridine needs a 14 to hit with her bow. A 10. There's no clear shot and she does not release. Gyrios also needs a 14. A 6. That's his first miss of this battle, believe it or not. Harl needs a 13. A 2. Back to bad rolls. Sparks fly where Axe meets Chitin, but he cannot get through. Umura, as always, needs an 18. She's got a 3, so, uh, no. Choosing a random target for the Ankegs. Gyrios is attacked. A four is a miss, and the round ends. <laughs> round seven. Initiative. The party. A two. The Ankegs. A one. Both sides are clearly exhausted and moving slowly now. Still, it seems that victory is inevitable. Of course, these monsters can do a lot of damage on their way down. Side battle number one. Three dwarves attack. No hits. The creature retaliates and rolls a one. Crit fail. That means it will miss the next turn. Side battle number two, containing five dwarves. The rolls. One hit only, but that's enough to destroy the creature. It finally falls with two dozen gashes in its grotesque body. Side battle number three, Garrett and Tarek try to reverse their bad luck. A near miss and a hit. The beast is at death's door, but it can still fight back. It attacks Garrett again. Not sure how many lives Garrett can possibly have here. Well, apparently one more because a seven misses. The main battle. Aerodine tries to find a shot. A two. Again, there is no shot to take, and frustrated, she holds her fire. Gyrios makes his try. A 16. Gyrios is back. Three points of damage will not kill it, though. Can Harl finish the job? A 16, yes he can, and there's no need to roll, as even Harl's minimum will kill this. Umora will definitely take this chance to step back and get out of the way. Well, we're at round eight, and barring a miracle, this will be the final round. Initiative, the party, a four, the Ankeg, a two. Eight Thangarian warriors, plus the captain and Garrett remain. Here are their rolls. 8d20 produced only one hit, but there's no retaliation due to the surviving Ankeg's previous crit fail. 
I really just need one more hit from anyone to finish this fight. Who's it going to be from? Eridine? No, an 8 means that she cannot find a shot to take. How about Gyrios? He's been rolling really well. A 17. I won't even bother rolling for damage. This monster is so close to death. Gyrios needs only raise his weary mace arm and bring it down a final time. And now, with the solitary hit point, only the queen remains. Eridine, clenching her teeth against pain, notches an arrow to her bowstring. But when she raises it to fire, Harl tells her, No, stay your hand. This monster's life is the dwarf's to take. And so Eridine stays back with Umura and allows Gyrios to tend to her many wounds while Harald joins the Thangarians who close on the Squirming Queen. Even Garrett Magger joins the execution party. He shoves Gyrios away when the cleric tries to tend to his terrible wound. The dwarves slowly lift their axes into the air, murder shining in their eyes and on their blades. But they do not realize their mistake until it is too late. The queen does not have mandibles, and almost entirely depends on her soldiers to protect her. Almost entirely. She is not completely defenseless, and has a last resort special ability. When cornered, as she is now, she can spew forth the acidic juices of her stomach in something like a dragon's breath weapon. This attack comes in a cone that is 30 feet long, 15 feet wide at the end. It causes 2d10 points of acid damage to anything caught in the spray, with a chance to save versus breath weapon for half. The acid can also destroy armor, weapons, and other material it touches. I'll rule that this attack will affect half of the dwarves, seeing as, including Harl, there are 11 of them, and they are closing in on her in a semicircle to prevent her escape. There's no need to roll initiative for this. It makes sense to me that, since the dwarves don't expect it, she will easily be able to use the ability before they can reach her. I'll make the rolls to see who is hit and what damage is sustained off mic, as I'd like to do individual checks for each dwarf, and it'll just be too time-consuming to include all that minutia here. Would you like to know more about some of the most influential role-playing games out there? Roll to Save is a podcast dedicated to the history of RPGs, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts from and at rolltosave.blog. We take a long hard look at the origins of some of the biggest games and their often turbulent histories. Roll to Save also looks at how modern games have been shaped by the games that came before. So, if you fancy delving into the fascinating history of role-playing games, visit rolltosave.blog or search for Roll to Save on your podcast directory of choice. You can also contact us at at savepodcast on Twitter. Join us on a trip down memory lane. You might be surprised at what you learn. The queen swung her massive, hideous face from right to left, and a geyser of hot acid belched forth from the depths of her gut, splashing over her attackers. Captain Terrig and a dwarf named Puck Swiftpick, who had made the unwise decision to remove his great helm, got the worst of it. Puck's silver-headed warhammer hit the floor with a heavy clang as the two were doused from head to toe with pure hydrochloric acid. They fell to their knees, screaming, with their armor and the flesh beneath it pouring off noxious vapors. One by one, like dominoes, the other dwarves collapsed, ripping off their helms and sucking in bad air. Garrett was among those hit, but he had not been standing at the head of the Ark, where the impact was greatest. Still, the skin on his face bubbled and bled. 
the one-handed innkeeper seemed about to scream. Instead, his eyes rolled back into his head and he dropped to the ground unconscious. Harl, who had been just barely missed by the attack, looked down his nose in shock to see the tips of his bushy black beard wither and recede. Other than that, he was unscathed. He stood as though rooted to the floor, dumbfounded and working his jaw soundlessly. His weapon arm slowly drooped as his brain struggled to comprehend what had happened. But after the initial shock had passed, the dwarves who were able laid into the queen with unbridled ferocity, mercilessly hacking at her with their axes and swords. They were like a threshing machine. Soon the mother Ankeg was cut into a thousand ragged little pieces. They stood amongst the carnage, breathing hard, grim-faced and slit-eyed. Perhaps the blood and brutality restored something to them, something of all that they had lost. But not for Captain Slinghitch. For him, like Garrett Magger, life would never be the same again. Though he still drew ragged breath, his face and hands were red ruins, and most of his fiery orange beard, along with one of his eyes, had been melted away. Puck Swiftpick had not survived. He died in a sitting position, having been turned into a shining pink skeleton from the waist up. At his feet, his silver-headed warhammer gleamed as though new. Chapter 59, Part 1, Day 71, Morning. The air was fresh and sweet and clean. It breezed gently through the wide arrow-slit windows. Jula, Olaman, and Nilam Truestrike were enjoying one of Thangar's easiest duties. They were standing sentry in the eastern watchtower, a place where nothing ever seemed to happen. It was precisely that lack of activity that made it such a coveted duty. Oh, this beats mucking out the undermule stalls, said Nilam, putting his feet up on a water barrel and yawning happily. <sighs> Jula stretched her neck to one side until it cracked, and then did the other. She stretched with satisfaction. Oh, you could say that again, she agreed. I think I shall fill my pipe. Just look at that sky, Nilam remarked, gazing out the window. Lazarite blue, and those clouds, so fluffy, I could just about eat one. <laughs> laughed Olimon, who enjoyed childish things best. He was peering at the sky on the other side of the room, filling the arrow slit with his blocky head. When he turned around, he had one of his fingers in his nose. Olimon? The disappointment in her voice made him realize his faux pas, and he quickly removed finger from nostril. He might have sucked it if Jula hadn't been watching him so closely. She struck a flint and lit her pipe, and soon the smoldering weed filled the room with a heady fungal odor that the other two found to be very pleasant. They grinned at each other contentedly, and went back to their smoking, yawning, and cloud-gazing. I see a great castle, declared Olimon after a spell. See? We might, if your great head wasn't blocking the view, laughed Nilam from across the room. Oh, right. Olimon removed his head from the opening and stepped to the side. In the sky beyond the window floated a mass of clouds that, with a little imagination, might have been said to look like a castle. The sun, still quite low in the sky, shone a faint rosy light across it from the east. See now? Hmm, maybe I do. Do you see it, sister? Jula looked out Olamon's window, narrowing her eyes. Then she nodded in the affirmative and removed the pipe stem from her teeth. Here, let me give it a moat. With that, she sucked at the pipe again and then puffed out a perfect smoke ring. It drifted up and up until it dissipated against the stone ceiling. Ha ha ha. 
Your turn, Nylum. Well, all right then. Nylum replied with mock seriousness. Now let's see. Ah, I found a wolf's head. Over there. See it? Hmm. I'm not sure. There? Said Alamon, looking doubtful. Yes. No. No, it's not over there. See? That's the eye. That little break in the clouds. That's the eye. Oh, right. I think I can see it now. Olamon scanned the sky, looking a little perplexed, but Nylum was quite taken with his chosen cloud, and rested his elbows on the stone ledge. He cradled his chin in his hands, and tracked the shape until it distorted into something demonic, and then eventually into something that didn't look like much of anything. Your turn, Jula, said Nylum absently. Jula looked at her pipe and saw that it had gone out. She wet her lips and bounced her bushy eyebrows. Oh, very well. What do you see? asked Olamon without hesitation. Patience, brother, patience. I don't know. Wait a minute. I do see something. Jula squinted at the far distance and put the extinguished pipe back in her mouth. Through clenched teeth, she wondered aloud. Is that a bird of some kind? You see a bird? Is it an eagle? Those are good luck. What is it? What is it? Olamon rubbed his hands together and bobbed his head in simple, childish delight. No, it's not a bird. It's a... Uh... Jula's pipe fell from her slack mouth as she backed away from the window, stammering. Dragon. She said in a whisper. Perhaps she wished that the word, like a cloud, would come apart in the air and cease to be. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show, there are now four ways to lend your support. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can toss me a buck and a half by purchasing my rules ultralight RPG called One Shot in the Dark on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate and review the show on your podcatcher of choice. My sincere thanks to everyone who has done any of the above. I'd like to read a review from Apple Podcasts today. This one is from Utter Newbie. Utter Newbie writes, Tale of the Manticore is the ultimate mashup of a D&D campaign and compelling storytelling. Definitely intended for a mature audience, John does a spectacular job of weaving the dice rolls into an epic fantasy adventure. It is clearly apparent that a tremendous amount of care, thought, time, and attention to detail goes into every gripping episode. Having never played a game of D&D before, but having grown up on a fair of RPGs and fantasy novels, I've been hooked. John does a wonderful job explaining how and why things happen without getting too into the weeds in terms of rules. I can't wait to see how the story unfolds in a land where chaos rolls. Thank you so much for writing that review, Utter Newbie. I'm really happy to hear that you can follow along easily, even without having played D&D before. I'm just as curious as you are about which direction the story will take. I have some wonderful voice talent to introduce today. Matt Davids, who wrote the Book of Random Table series that many of you will know, joins the cast as Nylum True Strike. Matt has a terrific podcast called Dice Geeks that I strongly encourage everyone to check out. Nylum's sister, Jula, is played by the amazing Emily Matchett of the podcast Legends, a Superhero Story. Welcome to the cast, Matt and Emily. For those listeners who are curious to read little extras, such as character sheets, maps, character portraits, show notes, and other errata, please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. Now that I'm a year and a half into the show, there's actually quite a lot of stuff there. 
If you feel like getting in touch, you can contact me on Twitter at Manticore Tale or on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Happy, happy holidays, everyone. The story will continue in 2022 on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Few things inspire you to create your own campaign more than hearing a bunch of friends enjoying theirs. But where do you start? Here at Undercommon Taste, we discuss tabletop gaming and homebrew content, as well as diving into the concepts of world building, content creation, game balance, and various DM tips. We focus mainly on 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, but most of our advice can be taken into any system. We dive into the existing lore of older editions, discussing the impact of bringing old, sometimes forgotten, lore into the current edition to bring your campaign worlds to life. We also host various game and game systems creators to get a sample of up-and-coming projects and to get their take on how to bring something unexpected and new to the table. So join us for Undercommon Taste, where we stir the pot and lick the spoon. Available wherever you find your podcasts.